Ecclesiastes chapter 6. We'd like to look at verses 10 to 12 this morning. It's wisdom principles inspired and preserved for our learning. Verse 10 says, Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow. For who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? So the whole theme of, book of, of the book of Ecclesiastes that we've been studying is really how do we live life on purpose? God in Christ gives us all the eternal purpose that we're to have as we live. When we were going through the overview of the book of Ecclesiastes clear back in February, we mentioned that this life on purpose is a life that's supposed to be lived with joy and rejoicing. Thirteen times our author, with the Lord's guidance, reminds us of that reality within the book. True rejoicing and living is only connected, though, with the Lord and his word, as we've seen again and again in the eight or so months that we've been studying this book, as it's recounted at the end in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, the conclusion, when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it be good or evil. I do find it interesting for we who live in this era of the church that the word rejoicing in the New Testament is often thought of as being used in one particular book. And those of you that have been around the Bible for a long time are probably thinking about the book of Philippians. And it is there for sure, but there's a word that's emphasized more in the book of Philippians than the word joy, and that's the word gospel. The gospel of Christ transforms the heart. It repurposes our lives. And there's great joy in partnering in the gospel together in this local church. So I've always wondered as I've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes if there's a wisdom correlation between this book and the book of Philippians. We talk about living life on purpose. We've done that. We've talked about the way the first three sections of this book conclude and we are to rejoice. We are to happily embrace that which the Lord's gifted us with and utilize it for eternal purpose. And I really do believe that there's some wisdom truth here that God's given through the hand of Solomon preserved for us in our era so that we can wisely live life on purpose with eternal purpose in our local church. Anyway, that may be something for all of us to, to ponder this week. A particular author that I enjoy included a story, a statement about a British essayist and poet, Joseph Addison. And you may be familiar with this. You see it posted on um, artwork. You see it written on pieces of art. It's framed. It's, I've seen it on social media platforms and so forth. This statement by Addison who wrote, The grand essentials to happiness in this life are something to do someone to love, and something to hope for. Whenever I read that statement, if you're a sports fan, I think of Jimmy Valvano's famous statement at the ESPYs years ago when he was struggling with his battle with, battle with cancer. And he said, there's, 
to me three things everyone should enjoy every day and some of you could tell me in unison together what those are because that speech is so, so popular number one is laugh number two is think spend some time in thought and number three is you should have your emotions move to tears so if you're truly going to live you've got to laugh you've got to think and you've got to cry I would say apart from our eternal purpose, Valvano and Addison's wisdom would be some of the best wisdom man can pursue. And I'm saying that all six of those things, while may they be inclusive of one another or separate, depending on how you hear them, it's some good wisdom. And I think made in God's image, maybe even as non-believers, they're able to give some good wisdom that would be a temporary balm or healing for your soul on a day-to-day -day basis. But Solomon tried man's wisdom without God. Solomon had turned his back on God. Remember, now he's returned back to the Lord, and he's saying, I've been there and done that, and I found out that really it's not possible to live life on purpose without living life with eternal purpose. Right? Maybe we could write that down. It's really not possible to live life on purpose without living life with eternal purpose. What does that mean? How does God want to work his gospel through me in this era, in my home, and in my church, and in my community? It's not possible to live life on purpose in this age without living with eternal purpose. So as we continue this morning, let's remain focused on this eternal purpose as we navigate through some more weighty topics together. The last two weeks, we've sought to answer these questions. Number one, why can we have so much and still feel unfulfilled? In other words, why can we have so much and feel like we have nothing? And we investigated a little bit last week, even though I love my job, I'm in my vocation that I studied for and I'm, I'm enjoying it, why can I even not find ultimate fulfillment in my occupation? We discovered together that merely pursuing those things alone will bring temporary joy, but it's unsustainable happiness. They will bring temporary joy. Things, material wealth, regardless of the degree that you have, it's been gifted to you by God, and that can be enjoyed, and your occupation that may be was part and parcel of accumulating all that you have certainly can be enjoyed but it's still unsustainable happiness because those two things, both gifts from God, enjoyed by themselves apart from eternal purpose, leave us feeling empty. Warren Wearsby said in his devotional commentary on this particular set of verses, if you devote your life only to the pursuit of happiness, you will be miserable. However, if you devote your life to doing God's will, you will find happiness as well for the long run. Amen. So we find God's will in living lives for eternal reasons. So Solomon continues to add wisdom for us. When life doesn't make much sense, in verses 10 through 12 that we've already read, I'd like to take these several verses and um, identify them, partition them off, section them off with this question. Why is my heart burdened for so many things for which there seems to be no direct answer? Why do I wonder? Why do I ponder? Why do I think about so many things for which there seems to be no answer? We're not going to read through these verses again, but I'm going to take the phrases in these verses and divide them up in a handful of ways we'll describe in just a little bit that's going to describe the condition of our heart at particular times. That wonders this broad question in very specific ways. In verse 10, we're going to Investigate the discouraged heart that has a tendency to give up. 
the discouraged heart that has a tendency to give up, we're going to see in verse 11 the counseled heart. The heart that's received good counsel that still hurts. That still hurts. We're going to look at in verse 12 the, the learned heart, the educated heart that still wonders. And in verse 12, we're going to see that the anxious heart that still is tempted to worry. Okay? So going in reverse order, the anxious heart, okay. the educated heart, the counseled heart, and the discouraged heart. Before we get there, I just would like to walk us into those four um, particular aspects or conditions of our heart that's always wondering. It's always wondering, why am I always burdened for so many things when there seems to be no direct answer? I don't know if you knew this or not, but there's a group of ladies in our church that every morning, every Saturday morning, excuse me, they gather together to walk, exercise, and pray together. They do this every week, from what I understand. And as they pray for each other, they pray the Lord would use them for eternity. Sometimes they've asked the Lord to use them even as they walk through the park together. And the Lord often answers that request as they interact with other people who are exercising and the Lord gives them the opportunity to start building redemptive relationships right there. I get texts from these ladies who often and persistently recount to me and the other pastors how the Lord is answering their prayers to be used of him. These are ladies that have set an example of sorts for many of us, including me, who often get philosophically stuck in our lives, vocationally stuck in our lives. Even as God's children, and when life doesn't make much sense to us. By the way, these ladies, in my opinion, are not all stars in our church. These ladies are no different than you and me. They're ladies that were born again out of very broken pasts. As a matter of fact, if I was to tell you who these ladies are and you knew their pasts in our modern day evangelicalism, they wouldn't be lauded as heroes or specialists in any particular part of doing church. They would be viewed in our era as simpletons um, who don't hold much value to the local church personally or to the church broadly. But I tell you, they provide for me and for us an illustration of the greatest value than any one soul could have to their home and to their church and to their community. Why? Well, they know that they can't change the circumstances in their lives. This is a group of ladies that no longer is living life on purpose just for their job or living life on purpose just to enjoy the things that God's given to them. They're not living life just to enjoy their spouse or those living underneath their roof in their home. And may I say this, they're not living life just to come and enjoy you and your company. And may I add this, they're not even living life to come here and enjoy God's word and to become more stable believers because living life on purpose means to live life with eternal purpose. They're living life for a higher purpose than even those good things that we've mentioned. They're living life for redemptive purpose. Because when they pray together, they're saying, Lord, who, even in this park, needs the gospel? Lord, who, even in our neighborhoods, needs the gospel? Who in our homes, Lord, needs the gospel? All these other things we enjoy and we ought to and we should. We're commanded to. We've seen that. Unto what, why, though?
I've learned from these ladies that life is to be filled with divine opportunity, divine eternal opportunity, and we can pray for and enjoy and begin to enjoy those opportunities that God gives to us. While there's always going to be the stuff of life that doesn't make sense and certainly out of our control, but certainly under God's control, They've come to the place where they're allowing God to work out those things in his plans without getting distracted from pursuing the eternal plans God has for them. One author in relationship to their story said this, that your agenda, I would say their agenda, is designed to be subordinate to God's agenda. So we're going to get into these four aspects of the condition of our hearts at times. And I think sometimes what, I don't think sometimes, I think what Solomon's trying to tell us is this is what the heart can be like when it becomes detached from living for eternal purpose. And you say, well, I don't see the gospel in here. Well, hopefully last week and hopefully at the beginning of this sermon, in its introduction, you heard a biblical theology of how living life on purpose can never be detached from our local church purpose in this New Testament era. If we're going to fear God and keep his commandments, and that's the conclusion of all things. As a pastor, I have to connect the two because they're both in the word. And we have to understand what living life on purpose means in this dispensation, at this time, for us today, right? In your seat, in this church, in your home, in your neighborhood. Okay. So understanding these things, let's look at these four ways that verses 10 to 12 describe the burden potentially distracted heart that looks for answers. So the discouraged heart has a tendency to give up. Well, I, I would probably say, unless you're like one of those type A eternal optimists and you're like a um, motivational speaker and that's what you do for a living, that, that you're probably running into this at some part in time in your life. And some might say, yeah, just about every half hour of the day, right? My heart is discouraged and I kind of just want to give up. What does verse 10 say? We might even get to the point where we're thinking whatever exists has already been named and it's known what man is for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. In other words, God's going to be God. He's going to control things the way he wants to control things and I don't have to understand it so I don't have to get it and so be it. It's more of a sarcastic way of looking at life here in verse 10 that Solomon reminds himself that he used to think and live that way before he came back to the Lord. I have all these things. I love all these things. I have all these people around me. I have all these benefits to life. In every aspect of life, you that know the Lord know the, what the Word says about Solomon's lifestyle. And he says, you know what? I found out that I have everything and I control nothing anyway. I'm going to let God be God and I just forget about it. And to be discouraged. If I can't figure it out, but I'll try to make it through today. Right? So this would be like, at that time, a multi-billionaire who's discouraged, who has no other way to encourage himself than going to the top of the building in which he resides in his penthouse over a major city and texting his helicopter pilot and say, I just want to go for a flight around the city, and when we're done, we're going we're gonna to fly out to an island, and I'm just going to sit in my mansion on that island, and I'm going to hear the waves lapping up on the sea, and, and uh, I'm just going to order whatever food I want, and that's what I'm going to do. I don't care. I don't care. Have everything and nothing at the same time. The heart can get discouraged. 
Have you ever hopelessly thought, no matter how hard I try, I can't change anything, no matter how hard I work, I don't seem to be making any process, and the more I try to help people overall, they, they just don't seem to listen to what I have to say? Life can be total monotony. We studied that back in chapter 1, right? The life that we live can be just like creation and the rhythms of creation we watch every day. The sun rises, the sun sets. The river flows, and it never stops flowing. The waves come, and the undertow, they go. Clouds blow in, and they blow out, right? Creation never stops. It's just a monotonous rhythm. And my life's like that. Only guess what? Creation gets to last longer than I do. So what's up with that? That's the idea here. We get discouraged. And the heart stops trusting God. We'll ultimately begin to think, I can't agree with him, I can't argue with him, so I'll just reluctantly acquiesce to him. He's got it all under control anyway, right? It's never really for my good, but at least he's got this. Well, I think I've been that way way too many times than I'd like to admit. And I've got to bring myself back to the reality of understanding that my agenda has to be subordinate to his. And how do I do that? Well, I can go back to job, my work, and I'm a pastor, and I have a job description. And I can say, I'm going to go find fulfillment in being a good shepherd. And that helps, but it doesn't fix it. Why? Because it can't. It's not designed by God to be the ultimate fix for even a pastor teacher to pursue his vocation and do it well and love it. I find no ultimate, ultimate fulfillment there. Because a pastor can do his job, some would argue that he can't, but a pastor can do his job and go through the rhythms of ecclesiastical opportunity and still not live for eternal purpose. Our job's really no different than the potential distraction of your occupations. We all have a tendency to be distracted. I can walk in and out of the office here at church, and I'll guarantee you, those people that work here every day and serve here every day, they could probably tell you when Pastor Tim's having a good day and when he's not. They know me best. And when I'm not, they know it. Bless their souls, they're just quiet. And they say, Pastor, I'm praying for you. Right? And when I'm having a good day, apparently they never pray for me. No, <laughs> When you're having a good day, people don't think you need prayer, so they don't say it, right? Anyways, they're always telling me they're praying for me. They're wonderful people, just like you. It's an honor to serve the Lord with you, but is it possible for even a local church to serve and worship the Lord together and not have eternal purpose? And I would say the answer is yes. Individually, and then even collectively. So Solomon, at some part in time in his life, and he had walked away from the Lord, he found that doing the will of God was not very pleasant. When he walked away from his eternal purpose, he knew what it was, and he would maybe try to do it, but it wasn't very pleasant. So what do we do? Well, let's look at another Old Testament character's life who did the will of God, and it wasn't medicine to him. It was meat to him. The Lord Jesus in John chapter 4, verses 32 to 34. It was the meat of our Savior to do the will of his Father. It was the joy of our Savior to do the will of God. Read on your own time, John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. 
It was the glory of our Savior to come and to do the will of God and to bring glory back to his Father. And what was the meat of our Savior's life? Remember, it's in an Old Testament context. Remember, he's a carpenter. He's not a teacher. He's a rabbi. But there's no spiritual giftedness yet of the gift of teacher. The New Testament local church hasn't started yet. He's a carpenter that was actually labeled teacher. He was not self-appointed as teacher. Because the word rabbi was a word that didn't even exist in the Hebrew language until the intertestamental period. There were rabbis before Jesus. There were rabbis after Jesus. He was a carpenter that came to do the will of his father who happened to know the Old Testament really well. And they labeled him teacher. But he was a carpenter doing his father's will. And what was the will of his father? He came not to be ministered to or to be served, but to serve and to do what? Give his life a ransom for many. Philippians chapter 2, you're well familiar with. He was equal with God and thought it not a crime to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took on the form of a human carpenter and came to do the will of his father, which was what? To, to be obedient even unto the death of the cross. And so when this carpenter is ascending after his death, burial, and resurrection, and his little journey on earth for over a little over a month, when on his ascension day, this ascending carpenter says what? Don't be fearful. I'm leaving you. There's somebody else coming behind me. That was the Holy Spirit, Acts 2, who's just like me, and he's going to help you live the way I lived. You'll have jobs. You'll have stuff. Life will be confusing. I get that, he said. <laughs> Life's been hard. But God wins. I'm leaving you to the task. Regardless of your vocation, regardless of the stuff you have, when life doesn't make any sense at all, I'm still leaving you to the task. that I lived as a blue-collar tradesman. So what's the therapy for the hurting heart? I wish I could be more profound like this. Maybe I don't wish I could be more profound than this. But when I do what I do, and I try to do my job with the highest integrity, and I get so discouraged, ask my wife, Right. She'll tell you. She said yesterday, right, two and a half hour trip to Columbus. I was quiet. I was bummed. She knew it. Emma knew it. Dad, what's up? You're not going to be like this all day, are you? <laughs> right? And Rhonda said, just leave him alone. He'll come out of it. <laughs> or something to that effect. Amen. I don't know if you remember that or not. Oh, she remembers, yep. I know at that moment, there's a least common denominator in my life. Really, when I consider her, my kids, you, this church, the opportunity we have in this community, and all the layers of encouragement that I have, I can't even believe that I get discouraged. Right? So I go through this little guilt trip of, why are you, you're, you're a fool. Do you understand how much you have and all that God's given you and Oh my word, what's wrong with you? And then you kind of realize, you know what? Think about what you're preaching to your people. It happens when I walk away from my eternal purpose. When I walk away for the redemptive reasons why Jesus 
put his feet on earth. When I walk away that I'm to get up every day and live for the same purpose. And when my feet hit the ground, if I don't have eternal purpose, I'm going to stay in discouragement. It's normal for us to get here. That's what Solomon's saying. He's been saying it for three straight chapters. It's normal for us to get here. And God's saying in his wisdom, it's not normal to stay there. And when something is causing you to be compartmentalized into discouragement and your heart to hurt, then it's something that has to be identified and dealt with. And all of a sudden, I get down in Columbus, and I'm around people, and I start to realize that my life for that moment, among 103,000 people, is to have a redemptive purpose. And I have no purpose unless I'm actually thinking that in that environment. And when I do, all of a sudden, my heart starts to come up. Everything else starts to kind of disappear. It's there. But if I don't have a purpose in the life of another life's purpose, I personally don't feel like I have a purpose. Even while I'm enjoying all these good things that God's commanded me to enjoy. Anyways. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you feel sorry for me, and that's fine. I'm just trying to help you understand how I come out of my, my doldrums, if you will. The Lord Jesus thought it was meet to do the will of his Father. And it was a glorious, joyful agony for him to do it. But he did it. So for me, when I think of Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And I think of that in relationship to the first things of Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, where the apostle John spoke to the pastor of the church of Ephesus, and he says, you're doing all these things right. You're standing against error. You're preaching the whole Bible. You're loving your people well. You're doing everything well. But he says, I'm still going to remove the lampstand from you unless you, pastor of Ephesus, start doing one thing. Unless you get back to the first works. Pastor, when you were born again, What was the first thing that you wanted to do as soon as you came to meet Jesus? Do you remember, Pastor? You wanted to get up and you wanted to go tell your grandparents, you wanted to tell whoever you could find that I've met Jesus. Do you remember that when you got saved? No? Maybe? I guess not everyone does. I did. So even in a church, in a context, a very real historical context like Ephesus could be doing everything right when it comes to this book and still not living life and doing the will of God as Jesus thought it was meat to do as a carpenter. And God would still remove the lampstand and close the doors. There is no living life on purpose without eternal purpose. For you as an individual, for you as a family, for you as a church family, we have no purpose if we don't have eternal purpose. And so maybe maybe these words will help you pull yourself up out and get our eyes instead of looking down and around to getting them looking up and maybe we could be like those ladies in the park and just say okay (laughs) I'm not just going to pray alone I'm going to pray together I'm going to do something with somebody and while I would pray Lord give us an understanding maybe even right today help us to know as a cake baker as a nurse as an accountant as a stay at home mom 
What's my eternal purpose today? Verse 11 tells us that the counseled heart still hurts. We're going to find out later in the book of Ecclesiastes that you could read every volume on counseling and the human condition in the National Library of Congress and get some decent help from that. Maybe not some not so good help too, but generally speaking, right? I have a whole shelf in my office full of books on biblical counseling. How to counsel spouses, children, crisis counseling, situational counseling, 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 counseling. For there are many words, Solomon says, which only increase futility. He didn't say that they were wrong words. He said these could be even helpful words. You know, he asked in 1 Kings 3 that he would know wisdom, and God granted that to him. So he's the wisest man other than Jesus that like ever lived. So he had all of the current contemporary information on data that could help the human soul and the human condition. And what does he say? Huh? just increases futility. I needed help. I've heard everything that man's had to say, and I've read everything that's been written. Why am I still not feeling good about myself? Why are some pastors' office doors nothing more than revolving doors of Christians struggling over the same thing? Over and over and over and over and over again. We have no life lived with purpose unless it's lived for eternal purpose. So, for people that I have the privilege and opportunity here to shepherd, you know how I begin. We begin with prayer, right? If we're started off new, I always ask you your testimony. Then we'll get into the word to address the topic at hand. Can I tell you after studying all this what I'm gonna, my next question is going to be? Now maybe no one will ever come see me. I don't know. What's your testimony? Let's pray. Let's look at the word. And who have you witnessed to lately? You have the power to fire me. So do it. But that's what I'm going to ask. I have found out the people that live with eternal purpose are people that really know what living life on purpose is. Amen. Those happen to be increasingly the most healthy people. Spiritually healthy, not physically. Spiritually healthy. When everything we do in our lives is on purpose like Jesus the carpenter. I think we understand what the Bible says about being a faithful here. James chapter 1 verses 22 to 25. You know it. But then he says the only person that's going to be blessed in their deed is not just but the faithful here, but the faithful doer. Isn't it fascinating that we can do every part of the word of God and do it well, and if we're not doing Matthew 28, 19, and 28 well for us personally, we can get stuck. I've told you this before. I hope to not tell you again anytime soon. I read a book by a fellow named Jim Stump, and he worked with the Barna Foundation through their investigations of thousands of individuals and churches. They found out that 95% of pastors and people have never personally won a friend to Christ in their own town. 95% of pastors and people We're not talking about in your home. We're not talking about in a Sunday school room. We're talking about a soul in the natural rhythms of life in our town. 
We're really not living life on purpose until we live life with eternal purpose. You say, well, Pastor Tim, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. Have you gotten discouraged and quit? Maybe we can start a walking group and pray. In the 80s, a form of Christian counseling saturated the Christian market. It was helpful. It got many people back to the Word of God and using it to address the particular failure. Certainly, there was divine help there, to be sure. But what's next for the believer who's healed by the grace of God through the Word of God? Are they just merely living life on purpose because they got their problem solved by Scripture? Is that merely the definition of Christian health, maturity, and success? Or is our meat the carpenter's meat? Counseling, even secular professional counseling offered from God's unbelieving image bearers can be a temporary balm of healing. We've already said that. And your library may be as full as my library. And to counsel the human soul that's directed at exclusive hurt is good. I'm not saying we should not do that. But is the mere remedy offered or prescribed going to be the ultimate answer to someone's spiritual success in life? I would suggest, as Solomon does here, that many words offered no matter how qualities these words may be, are never merely enough. If they're offered without opening up doors of opportunity for eternal purpose. I believe that's what Solomon's saying here in light of the whole context of the book and the context of Scripture. Good counsel can be endlessly good. But it's no ultimate remedy in its usefulness unless it's tied to eternal purpose and activity. By the way, isn't Jesus called the wonderful counselor in Scripture? Isn't it his gospel that can heal and help? The endless right and the endless pursuit of therapy is okay. The perfect consult for your business solution to a problem, nothing wrong with that. The help for your hurting heart, praise God for that. But I will share with you today as we've already said, there's always more good and more wise words to be heard. And in the hearing of those good words can be futility. Jesus was willing to close the doors of what we would call a Bible-believing conservative church in AD 95. He could do it today. And he is. All over the country. Over 2,000 churches a month. Even pastors that are holding up this book and preaching it every week. They lost what it means to live life on purpose. Good people, hard workers, good givers. Sacrifice. Three, four, five, six, seven decades faithful to their church. And the doors are closing. How can that be? That's futility. Have all the right information. Live healthy lives in a beautiful greenhouse. Well, there's no souls in the greenhouse to run the greenhouse. So if you're hurting, just remember Philippians chapter 1 where Paul said that the afflictions of the Philippians 
fell out rather to the furtherance of what? The furtherance of the gospel. The furtherance of the gospel. Paul's afflictions did the same thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, said, if you drink of this water, you'll thirst again. John 4, right? But if you drink of the water that I have to offer, you'll never thirst again. Remember what the rest of the chapter said? How she went back to her family and the town and did what? I met this guy who changed me. I met this carpenter. In a natural rhythm of life, in that culture, ladies, what do they do? At midday, they go and they draw water. Put the pot on their head and they take it back to their home. In a natural rhythm of life, here's the Lord Jesus, a carpenter doing the will of his Father. I wonder what souls may be out there for your discouraged and hurting heart, for your heart that's been counseled well and you've been fed well. I still wonder what souls are out there if your life is like that spiritual revolving door and you're just tired of going in those circles. I wonder where that soul is. It's going to pull you out. You've been to the Cleveland Hopkins Airport? You walk through door four, the revolving door. Have you ever walked into that door only to miss your out? Right? Have you ever missed your out and kept walking? And then have you ever had the door get locked and it kept you in? And there's all these people out there. Glad you're going to make your flight. It's good. I got locked in there not long ago. I'm not kidding you. I'm late for my flight. I can't imagine if someone would have got a video of what I look like in that moment, right? It would have been funny for me to watch, probably, after a little embarrassment. There's all these people moving around, doing their thing. It's like, why don't you just wave at me? Don't you realize I'm stuck here? Can you get some help? You know what I mean? I don't know who to text, right? Would it call me 911, right, when we're all looking through transparent glass here? What do you want me to do? Want a fire truck to show up? Find you guys realize this door's not moving, right? <laughs> Silly illustration. But you want to get out of that stuck place. Just be with people. You say, well, that's your personality. You say, well, you're gifted with the gift of evangelism. Well, remember, again, there's no spiritual gifts before Acts 2. When Jesus is calling his disciples and he's saying, Levi, you tax collector, you follow me. And Luke, you physician, you, 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 you follow me. Sons of thunder, lay down your nets, you fishermen. You, you follow me. And I'm going to make you fishers of men. Living life on purpose means living life with eternal purpose. If not, we're going through good, solid, ecclesiastical motions. That's it. That's it. And when we stand before Lord Jesus someday... And Carpenter Jesus looks at us and he says, So, how was your job? I loved it. How was the stuff you got from your job? You blessed me with so much, I can't believe I didn't deserve that. Good. So who'd you bring with you? It's haunting to me. I'm not guilt-tripping any of you. I think it's quiet because you're all thinking like I do. Jesus says, if you deny my name before men, then I will deny your name before my Father. So who? And you say, well, I tried, and I don't have one, Lord. And he goes, you didn't deny my name. Thank you. I died for your name. You didn't deny mine. Lord, all I have is one. 
I prayed for years. All I have is one. I know. Praise God, you didn't deny my name. Lord, they have 20. I just have one. Doesn't matter. It's not a numbers thing. It's not a numbers thing. Did you speak my name? In the natural rhythms of life, with people that knew that you were going to love them, whether they trusted Christ or not. This is good help. This is good help. Verse 12, the learned heart still wonders. Get all the education you want. For who knows what is good for a man in his lifetime. Educators tell us over and over what's good for us. And we learn it. Go to a car show. Go to a high-tech trade show. Have a webinar on entrepreneurial development. Take a hundred of them. How many online degrees are there now? How many ways exist to work from home and have the freedom to work as you wish? How has all of our technology advanced us to the point where we really have need of nothing and have all of it and still wonder, why am I empty? Well, maybe because you're out of touch with souls that you can influence for eternity. I don't know. So maybe while you work from home, maybe go exercise with people outside your home and maybe let's pray that the Lord will use us right here in our town. The anxious heart still worries. Does anyone know what's coming next? Verse 12 says. Right? People that live without eternal purpose or people who have a tendency to worry. It's hard for them to cast their care upon the Lord knowing that he cares for them. It's hard for them not to be anxious for even one thing. Right? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Right? It's hard for them to practice Christ's words in Matthew 6. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. People that practice those things, though, remember, it's easy to become anxious and discouraged. It's normal, but it's abnormal to stay there. People that move out of those moments are people that move into eternal purpose. So remember the British essayist words, the grand essentials in life to be happy or something to do, someone to love and something to hope for. Well, I find it interesting that in Jesus I have something to do. In Jesus I have someone to love. And in Jesus I have something to hope for. And so do we all. So do we all. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we can live with joy, as Solomon says, throughout the book. And we know that that joy is included in doing the will of God and keeping his commandments. And we know from a New Testament perspective exactly what that means for us. I really believe, even though Solomon didn't have the New Testament, he understood how he had lost his eternal purpose way. And certainly life provides for us from your good hand as the giver of every good gift wonderful things to enjoy and wonderful opportunities to obey your command that we are to work. But in the midst of all these opportunities and all these obediences, help me, Lord, as the pastor of this church to lift up my eyes unto eternal purpose. The fields are certainly white unto harvest. Help me to work my way out of my own ruts. By rejoicing and obeying your word. As my Savior the carpenter did. In Jesus' name, amen.